Hey everyone, this is Dr. Rebecca Meter, producer for Coffee with a Little Bit of Cream podcast. This episode is a recording of Shamari Jones's recent visit to one of Dr. Paul Sutton's classes at Pacific Lutheran University. Please forgive some of the differences in volume throughout the podcast as we adjusted the sound in order for you to hear the students' questions. Also, we've decided to divide this recording into six separate 20-minute episodes for your listening and consuming pleasure. This episode will be part one in a six-part podcast episode, with one episode being released each week. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Katherine Kennedy, founder and executive director of Wellness for Educators. We are so excited to serve as the sister podcast of Coffee with a Little Bit of Cream. We're grateful for the opportunity to cross-post and amplify Shamari Jones and Paul Sutton and their mission as they examine issues that impact education and the education system and ways that issues of race, power, and privilege impact students, educators, schools, districts, and the larger educational system. Here's the next episode for your listening pleasure. Good afternoon, everyone. That's not a good enough response. Good afternoon, everyone. I fully expect this to be an engaged, animated discussion where there's massive participation. I've never been a classroom teacher, which means that I just buck the entire system. I'm just going to call on you since you got name tags anyway. I'm just coming for you today, right? Like, this is an opportunity to put yourself and your your skill sets on the line to learn, to deepen, to have discourse, and to engage with one another and with Dr. Sutton and I. Uh, My name is Shamari Jones. It appears as though some of you all have had an opportunity to um, listen to and read some of the things that I've co-constructed with Dr. Sutton here, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I do hail from the Midwest. I'm a Chicago boy. Um, Whoop, whoop. Um, I landed out here about uh, 16 years ago or so, and I somehow um, dropped into this realm of education. It was not on purpose. I have a degree in aerospace engineering, so I have no like idea how I've moved all the way from here all the way over to this other side, but it's been a very fun and interesting journey. Um, I consider myself in the work that I do a disruptor. Like That's what people pay me money to do. Like people pay me money to disrupt and then they get salty at me because I'm the disruptor. Like that doesn't make no sense. But at the same time, my fun part of my life and the joy that I get to experience nowadays is to inspire others to walk alongside me in this pathway of disruption, you know. And so today we're going to get into a little bit of what that looks like and how that um, will impact you all as individuals, but also impact the people that you're here to serve. You all are here for the young people. Right. You're not here just for the, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're going to make in education. Right. You're not here for the glory that you'll get uh, on, on a daily basis to say that I'm a teacher or I'm an instructor. or I'm an educator. You're really here in service to and in service for the development of youngsters. Right. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today and how we do that in a way that is honoring what they are here to do and what they need from us. So I'm not going to talk too much because we got a lot more talking to do in the next however long that we're going to be together. I'm just really excited to be here and uh, kick it back to you, Dr. P. Awesome. Um, Would someone like to just share out? I can't really give you a microphone, but if someone would like to just start the conversation. Yes, Adeline. I really enjoyed the part where it said that you were here to 
Shamari, do you want to? Um, what strikes me is that those who constructed this system didn't think it was corrupt then, right? And it's just been a manifestation of the same thing over and over and over again to where it's now been deeply entrenched in the structure of our system. So trying to eliminate something that is structural when you've consistently been taught that this is the right thing to do doesn't feel like corruption to those who are the perpetuators of Right? It feels like a challenge to those who are seeking to break it, right? And so it's a hard lift. You know, we have to build muscles in order to consistently keep going, keep going, keep going until we do something that is in service of young people. But it's worth it, right? It's worth it every day. I no longer believe that my job is to change education as a whole. But as long as I can touch this young person right here in their life and the life of their families and those around them, like, that's my role. That's my job. And so thank you for that. Excellent. Anybody else? Someone else want to share their takeaways? Come on, this is not, nah. -uh. Hell no, this is college level. <laughs> okay. Um, my takeaway was when the, in the podcast talking about Miss Jackson and her involvement in the community. And I guess my takeaway is a question of could we integrate school and community in a way that teachers can play that role, which I recognize I will never be Ms. Jackson for my students of color. Um, to that level of having that deep understanding of how the system has failed those students, but still, like, I want that involvement with students and community, and I think that's where the, to me, that's education, being an educator yeah I mean I don't know what happened I was I'm in my 40s now uh, and when I was a lot younger I just recall very vividly folks caring a lot more than what I experienced today and we had relationships with teachers and administrators and everybody in the school district in the school building in which I went, attended in Gary, Indiana when I was small, they all knew all of the people. Yeah, Michael Jackson. Um, they all knew all the people um, who were the family members of the students in that building. And there was such deep care. It was deep. Right? Like, you can get away with Jack. You know, I was a little mischievous young person, but I just couldn't get away with it in the same way because I knew that the teacher would run to my mom's house right down the street and be like, yo, your kid, you know, we got to do something. We, we've got to do something about this, right? Like it was a co-construction on how to best support young people. And somehow in some way over time that has gotten lost, right? We don't even teach for that anymore. I was asking Dr. Paul, like how much of your education involves family engagement conversations? Like, how many of your classes go deep into the infrastructure of your knowledge of how to engage with people outside of the classroom, people outside of the building? Probably not a lot. And I've had that conversation at UW. I've had that conversation at SU, right? And it's the same across the paradigm, right? And so I would love it if you discovered how to do this in a way that is in support of the family because they have PhD in their children. Right? The family members know their kids and you don't. 
You got them for this amount of time within the day. And if you're not involved in that family, you're disre- that family member, you're disrespecting the entire family as a whole who's all getting that education at the same time. Excellent. Maybe one more. Yeah, Brian? What do you think led to the shift in uh, teacher-family engagement? You're saying that when you were younger, you know, your teachers could go talk to your parents and they could think. Uh, nowadays, it's not happening as often as it did back then. What do you think led to that shift? Uh, so I can hypothesize my experience as one in which the community that I grew up in was homogenous. Right? It was dominantly black. We made, I think we had one white kid who went to school in my school building. I don't know what the experiences were for someone like Dr. Paul here who maybe have not grown, may not have grown up in a dominantly black environment, but I just think of the way the community that I'm from values partnership and engagement with one another. It was not the same experience for me when I, my parents moved around quite a bit when I was a young kid. And it wasn't the same for me in every school circumstance. When I went to high school in Oak Park, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago, not the same experience. But when I was in elementary and I was in this smaller, tight-knit community where everyone knew one another, that's what it was. And so it's a little, little more difficult for me to answer the entirety of the question without seeking multiple perspectives. And I'm going to ask Dr. Paul to, to maybe make a statement or two about what his experience was. But within my experience, I know that for sure that there had something to do with the cultural normative behavior of those in that small environment being one where there was an expectation where there was partnership. Paul, what do you think? Well, for me, um, as some of you might recall, I grew up in a fairly Catholic family, and so I attended Catholic school and elementary school and middle school and uh, for most of high school. And um, so a lot of the kids I went to school with were white, and you know the, the culture, the norms, the rules were all white normative. So, so it was easy for me to move in and out of the school culture, right? The school culture with my family culture and vice versa. That said, I didn't have a Miss Jackson. I didn't have that person who would show up at my parents' door saying, Paul's not doing well in third grade. He didn't write that essay on the Bushmen of Kalahari. He was supposed to. I didn't have that. And I don't know. My question, Brian, after having multiple conversations with Shamari, is whether that is a white normative thing that's built on this system of individualism, right, where, like, you... You do well in school because you work really hard and you get ahead, and there isn't that much in terms of a school-family partnership. It could be the fact that it was, it, was a, it was a religious school or a Catholic school or a private school that created that division. But I didn't ever have what you heard from Dr. Ed Taylor and from Shamari was something I never experienced growing up. I did not experience that level of community. Right, so... In terms of the shift, I really don't know. I really don't know where that came from. But my guess is that over time, because I got socialized into that, that seemed like normal. But for Shamari, who then had to attend an, in- an integrated middle school, there was probably a lot of disruption that took place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes me think, I'm glad he brought up the, the infrastructure of individualism, and um, especially in a culture where 
historically, you're not given a lot. As a matter of fact, things are taken from you more so than given to you. There's a bonding that exists in those environments. There's, there's less um, of an expectation that you're going to, on your individual and own accord, go out there and you know, kick rocks and do some fantastic and major things without the support of others. You know, maybe there's a greater lean on me philosophy that uh, existed. Again, this is all hyperbole, you know, hypothesis. Um, but uh, I do know one thing for sure, and is that my community was bonded. They were bonded. You know, I still remember the names of my teachers because some of them came over and actually had dinner with us. You know, some of them walked me home from school sometimes just to make sure I was good. Right. And so, like, if you guys can bring that back and be that type of teacher that exhibits this level of care and concern, imagine the amount of trust that kids will put into you, you know, as you're seeking to ensure that they have what they need in order to move up the ladder from K through 12. Yeah. So my biggest question, and I've had this question throughout the entirety of my place. So I'm at a school that's very diverse. And most of the kids in my class are by whereas and my mentor teacher is also, she's a black woman. And I think my biggest question is, I don't understand a lot of traumas that my students have had because I haven't had them myself. And how do I become someone who can help them through those traumas without experiencing myself? Like, what are those resources and what are things I can do? And if there's some, like, if I can't do that, is a place like Lincoln where I'm at, where I would love to be, is that really the place I should be? I mean, it's where I want to be, but like, am I best serving those students if I can't recognize and help them through what they can help with? Uh, interesting question. And I'm going to look for some of you all in the class to also maybe answer some of these questions if you have critical feedback. I'm going to give my perspective. Uh, I think when we build relationships with people, it doesn't matter if they're young people or older people. When we build relationships with people, we have a tendency to be the person that they need for us to be. And so how are you, instead of requiring from your students uh, to know more about them, instead of requiring them to tell you about the things that they are going through, what their traumas are, what their experiences are, how are you showing up in a way that you are providing them with, this is who I am. Like, how do we identify with one another based on who I am for you? You know, giving people the platform and the space to feel comfortable and engaging with you and the inkling of opportunity that someone has to engage with you in a way that may feel a little bit vulnerable is your opportunity to really show up. Not like deep in your knowledge by asking them a thousand questions, but rather show up for what they've given you. Thank them for what it is that they're providing you with. It's a gift. You've been given a gift. You know, if I tell you that you have got some problems at home, your response needs to be, wow, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm here if you want to talk about that more deeply, right? Um, if there's anything that I can do to help remove barriers for dot, 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 right? That's a gift for you, you know, but not to the point where you're making someone feel more uncomfortable because of how they showed up. And so, like, I, I try to tell people all the time that one of the most core functions before you can even get a young person to learn is to build trust and build relationship. Once you got that, sky's the limit. Game on, right? But you might not ever get there. 
And maybe Lincoln is the spot for you and you don't know it yet because you haven't found a way to breach that threshold of building that type of relationship. Don't give up on it. Right. Like just because we're dominantly students of color doesn't mean that you as a white person, I'm assuming you identify as white. I don't know for certain. Um, but you as a white person doesn't belong in that space for folks and students of color. That's cool. You know, but you also have to learn how to take a step back, be introspective about your whiteness. Think about how you're showing up for others, like comb through all the norms that you've been taught to be in service to the students in the way that they need you to be in service to them. Anybody else have any feedback that they want to give to an experience or to a something that is your given opportunity to engage with a young person and be vulnerable for them in the way that they needed you to be? And maybe that hasn't happened yet, and that's okay. But I implore you, and I would ask for you to take the opportunity to continue to look for opportunities to build bonds. I think about some of the greatest teachers I've experienced. It built bonds with one person. And then it became a domino. I had this conversation the other day about dominoes. Like sometimes it takes that initial one to fall before the rest of them start falling. If you're not finding a pathway to open up the door for somebody to feel that close connection, to build that trust, nobody's going to want to trust you, right? And so you got to remove some barriers. And it's not going to happen today, like the day one of your experience at Lincoln High School. It may happen on day 96. And that's cool because you're going to continue to evolve in establishment of yourself in that space. Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I have a student of color who um, I've kind of built a relationship with that my mentor teacher wasn't necessarily having that relationship with that student. This student misses a lot of school. This student is very studious very quiet um, and, and because he misses so much school my mentor teacher kind of just eh, you know lets him slip and so I've you know made it a point to always talk to that student to always you know go and check you know how you know how are you doing you know how's, how's today and um, it's become a thing that now if this student has any kind of question or anything he always comes to me, always, and um, it's it's definitely I've definitely seen a a difference because he would never raise his hands, he would never ask a question, very very quiet, and now he's like like blossomed a little bit as far as um, uh, participating and engaging um, with me. Sure, you have a whole lot less time in secondary to engage with a young person. Right, and so I, uh, I had a teacher in the district that I work in, I'm in Bellevue. Uh, first day of school, he spent the entire class period, each one of his class periods, I think there were seven. Each one of his class periods, he spent the entire class period talking about this is who I am. Didn't do any other work in this history class. Like this is who I am. Like let me set the stage for where I come from, who my family is, the things that I know and learn, the things that I wanna learn and know. Right, just going through this opportunity to put on a platform, how is it that you all connect with me? Because I really want to connect with you, right? And just opening up that opportunity for vulnerability so folks can see that I'm willing to put myself out there and ride for you. You know, you just have to come. You got anything to 
Um, not much besides, besides that I'd like you to also recall, as you're thinking about this new conversation that we're having, or this extension of the conversation, some of the things you've already experienced in the program. There's a reason why we asked you to do the Archaeology of the Self paper right at the very beginning of your program, right? To figure out a place you can go to where you can be vulnerable with yourself, with those around you, and hopefully your students. Because as we've said many times in the program, students will not be vulnerable with you unless you are vulnerable with them. And there are obvious boundaries and parameters around what that looks like. But it's important that we realize that we are role models for students. We ask students a ton every single day to put themselves out there for us. Whether it's the writing they do, whether it's a, the public math they do up on the whiteboard, right? they put themselves on the line for us every day. So we need to be able to do some of the same for them to make sure that they see that we are willing to risk some of what we're asking them to risk on a day-to-day -day basis. Becca, you had a question? Hold up, one more question before you, I mean, one more statement before you ask your question. Young people sniff out bull crap. I was gonna say <laughs> bullshit, but I don't know that I'm allowed to say the S word. Young people can sniff out the BS like that. If you're not coming correct, like if you're full of bias and you have prejudice and you're really just kind of faking the funk because you're the person in front of the classroom, they're going to sniff you out, buddy. I'm going to tell you right now. I've seen it happen. And I've seen kids rip adults apart to their face. And so, like, if you are self-reflective in a way that you can check yourself as you engage in the space and you seek to find uh, the center of vulnerability, then you're going to survive this profession. If you're unable to get out of your own way, in service to or in support of young people, you're not going to do so hot. I'm going to tell you right now. It doesn't matter if the kid is a second grader or an 11th grader. They'll sniff you out in a heartbeat. So show up or move out. This concludes part one of six of this episode with coffee with a little bit of cream. Listen in next week for part two where Shamari Jones will answer more questions from students in Dr. Paul Sutton's class at PLU. I'm Dr. Rebecca Meter. See you then.